May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So today, is, as the fifth Sunday um, after Easter, is what we call Rogation Sunday, which is from a Latin word that means prayer or asking. And that's based on what our Lord says in the beginning of today's gospel. Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, that he will give you. And something we, we often forget is that the English word pray really has its root in an older usage that simply means to ask. When we pray to God, we, we are asking him for what we need. And um, in, in that older usage, it's not reserved for God even. I mean, we see this in Shakespeare and some of the older, older literature, right? Um, where, where that word pray is used a lot more widely than we might today. So today then begins a mini-season of the church year that we call Rogation Tide, a season that really only lasts four days. (laughs) Uh, It's the period from today, Rogation Sunday, until the Feast of the Ascension, which begins Wednesday night. So Rogation Tide is a period that has traditionally been set aside for prayer, and especially prayer for God's provision through the coming year. So we'll often mark that by vesting the church in violet um, Monday through Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning anyway, signifying rogation tide, as our prayer book puts it, as days of solemn supplication. So this is not quite fast days. This is not another little Lent, but this is a solemn and prayerful uh, set of days. You'll find in our prayer book the special collect epistle and gospel on page 261 uh, in our 1928 Book of Common Prayer. And I would encourage you to include these in your devotions uh, during the next three days. Um, some of the older versions just have kind of some extra special prayers you might insert, but, but the 28 version does have special rogation uh, collect epistle and gospel. Other than the special readings or prayers, the Rogation Days are traditionally a time that marks the beginning of spring, especially with prayers for planting to be fruitful. So in England, where we have our roots, this also became a time to revisit the parish boundaries, and that developed into a custom called beating the bounds, uh, when the people would process around the parish boundaries with readings, the litany, psalms. I'm told that sometimes the uh, choir boys would get, uh, get beaten with switches at the time. I don't know why, but that was apparently a custom. Um, maybe, maybe choir boys were a lot more rowdy than our choir ever is, considering we don't have any little boys. <laughs> Uh, as, as a father of, of, of girls, I don't know what that's like. Sure. <laughs> um, so they, yeah, we would, they would beat the bounds. They would uh, visit the parish boundaries. Um, and in, in England, the parish is more than just the church's property, but it's that geographic area that the parish serves. So boundary disputes would then be resolved. Issues of justice would be emphasized. And we kind of see a bit of a carryover of this way of doing things in Louisiana, where they don't have counties, they have parishes, right? So that's, that's a holdover of the European parish system, which we never really had in most of the rest of the United States. All of these customs are naturally somewhat rural or agricultural in their nature. And that's a reminder that the prayer book's tradition is essentially a, an earthy and an incarnational, if you will, form of the faith. 
Even though most of us here are urban or suburban folk, it can be a good thing to be reminded of our connection to the land, our connection to God's creation. And additionally, this, creation, this connection to creation and the need to ask God for these things, that connects us to today's emphasis in the gospel, that, that rogation tied emphasis of prayerful preparation for the Lord's ascension. So let's open up our gospel to, page, uh, to uh, John 16, 23. You can find this in your prayer book on page 176. John 16, beginning at verse 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, And I say not unto you that I will pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. So our gospel readings from the last three Sundays have all been from John 16, which is part of Jesus' discussion with the apostles at the Last Supper. All three of these gospel passages have been preparatory. They've been about preparation in one way or the other. So two weeks ago, we read the passage that is immediately before the one we're reading today. And in that passage, Jesus was preparing them for the sorrows that would come because of his suffering and death. But he was also preparing them for the joys that would come because of his resurrection. Now, last week, we had the very beginning of chapter 16, in which Jesus tells them that when he goes to the Father, he will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, which was a preparation for Pentecost. Today, he tells them that when he goes to the Father, they will be able to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. This is a preparation for the Ascension, which is just coming up in a couple of days. So in all three readings, we have this expectation that Jesus is going to the Father. Now, we are going to talk about this a bit more Wednesday night for the Feast of the Ascension, but we do need to recognize that Jesus' return to the Father was not merely spiritual. Just as Jesus' resurrection was a bodily resurrection, his ascension was a bodily ascension. Just as he physically rose from the dead, remember St. Thomas doubting until he touched the Lord's wounds, so also did his physical body rise up to heaven. This means that one of us, a human being, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, as we confessed in the Creed. The incarnation never ended. God the Son, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, became man, is man, and will be man forever and ever, world without end. This helps us then to see why we pray in Jesus' name. So that, that, that concept of in Jesus' name here, this is not just a magical formula that obligates God to answer our prayers. Sometimes we treat it that way, right? If I pray and if I say in Jesus' name, then God has to do something. That's not the way that it works. That's not what this is about. It's not simply a liturgy that we insert into non-liturgical prayer either. 
No, this praying in Jesus' name, it means that we're praying with his authority. We're praying as co-heirs with Christ, folks who have been united to him by his death and resurrection as signified in the sacraments of baptism in the Eucharist. In our gospel, Jesus said that the Father himself loves us because we've loved Jesus and we believe that he came from God. So in other words, our trust in Jesus, that is our faith in him, this is the basis for our access to the Father. You may recall that our catechism teaches that faith is necessary to receive the benefits of our baptism and the Eucharist. That is, faith is necessary to receive fully our new life and to have communion um, in and with Christ. You may recall also from articles 10 and 11 that we cannot drum up that faith by ourselves, but we need God's grace to have that faith in the first place. So even our faith, even our trust in Christ, this is a gift from God. So with all that in mind, what does praying in Jesus' name look like? Well, first, that praying needs to be consistent with his will as he reveals it in Holy Scripture. We can't pray for something sinful and expect God to honor that prayer. We can't pray damnation on our brother and expect God to honor that prayer. We can't ask God to enable us in wickedness or foolishness and expect God to honor that prayer. The implication here is that we will pray better when we know our Bibles better. We discussed this a few weeks ago in our Wednesday um, class when we were going over the homily on Scripture from the first book of homilies. But what we see is that the only way to know Scriptures better is to spend time in the Bible. That way we will then truly learn what is good and beautiful and true, as St. Paul said. This is exactly the kind of thing that our collect is alluding to when we prayed this. O Lord, from whom all good things do come, grant to us thy humble servants that by thy holy inspiration we may think those things that are good and by thy merciful guiding may perform the same through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So second, praying in Jesus' name means praying from a position of trust in Christ. We pray because we know his goodness. We pray because of what he's done for us. We know that we can trust him because he died and rose again for us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God. We know that we can trust him because he's promised us eternal life and he's given us his pledge of that eternal life in his word and in the sacraments. This means that it is appropriate to pray for the little things. My mom always used to pray for a parking place uh, when we were growing up. And um, when we think about that kind of thing, we sometimes think, that, that, isn't that a little silly? Well, no, actually, it's a very good thing because it's coming from a place of trust in God. She trusts that God will give her everything she needs, including a parking place. It is good to pray for the little things. After all, what, what, what things aren't little before God, right? <laughs> So pray for your health. Pray when you travel. Pray for your children. 
Pray for the salvation and repentance of your friends, your family, and yes, even your enemies. Pray for good test results. Sometimes we're too proud to pray for ourselves. That's not a good thing. Don't be so self-centered that you only pray for yourself, but don't be too proud or too falsely humble to pray for yourself as if your problems aren't worth God's time or as if you could take care of those problems yourself because it is worth God's time and you can't take care of those things yourself. As a reminder, we have an excellent collection of these standalone prayers in the, in the Book of Common Prayer. So just after, in our, in our edition, just after morning and evening prayer is a section with all sorts of wonderful standalone prayers and thanksgivings. And then in the back of our prayer book, in the family prayer section, we have even more of this same sort of thing. Again, more standalone prayers, standalone thanksgivings. Um, why they were separated uh, into two sections really has to do with uh, um, back back in 1928 when they were kind of experimenting with the family prayer section. Um, since it's not part of the Book of Common Prayer proper, they could edit that at every year if they needed to. They never did, but if they needed to, it was there to edit. Whereas if it was had been put in the prayer book proper, they would need three successive general conventions to do it. So it's it's a uh, Interesting issues there. Um, a lot of neat stuff in that family prayer section um, that I'm very glad is there. But um, we're getting a little, little beside the point here. Um, <laughs> the point is, though, that as our intercessors would tell you, uh, you can easily spend hours in intercession just going through those prayers in the prayer book, those sections in the prayer book, and applying those things to people you know, to situations that are in your life. Now, third, praying in Jesus' name means that we can pray um, so that we can have peace. Jesus concludes our gospel reading and the chapter in verse 33, where he said, These things I've spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Some of you have gone through or are going through some really tough times. Some of you know this kind of tribulation quite intimately. Some of you are mourning and grieving. Some of you have really good reasons to be anxious. Some of you feel overwhelmed with all the stuff that's going on in the world. Well, when we pray in Jesus' name, he gives us his peace. From the world's perspective, uh, that really doesn't make a lot of sense oftentimes. But when we pray, he reassures us. Now, that doesn't make the situation magically resolve itself oftentimes. In, in fact, the difficulties are often still there. But he does reassure us that he has indeed overcome the world. He reminds us of the long view. He helps us to be long-suffering, not faking a happy face, but realizing that our Lord is in control even when all the evidence in our lives seems to be saying the other thing. I bet that we could all sit around a campfire or the dinner table or something like that all night taking turns telling stories of when Jesus gave us peace despite the tribulations in life. And in those times of life when it seems so hard that we can't 
see his peace. Remembering what he's done in the past, those memories, they help us to get out of bed in the morning. They help us to get back on our knees in prayer. I'm reminded of the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon who said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And ultimately, that's the lesson of Rogation Sunday. We can go to God in prayer in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, because our Lord Jesus has demonstrated in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, that God is good and wise and loves us. So, beloved, be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. We say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.